What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. And for those who cannot see us, we are actually recording live. Yeah, uh, Bobby's still in the tri-state area. I'm in Colorado, but through the technology that has been provided to us by our schools as well as our own endeavors, we found that Zoom uh, is a fantastic website for us to have face-to-face interaction. Yeah, great platform. I've actually never messed with it before. I was actually planning on doing this over fi- over FaceTime, excuse me, but uh, I didn't realize FaceTime is just more a pain in the ass because with FaceTime you have to like record your screen, whereas Zoom has a native record function, so it's very a lot more convenient for us to, to do this via Zoom. So, you know, shout out to Zoom, buy their stock if you haven't already. Uh, I actually saw their stock yesterday, the other day. I looked it up. I was like up like eight percent or something uh, from last week. So you know, hot stock pick, Zoom company. Yeah, and if you can't tell from watching it either, uh, one of us has a professional setup, uh, aka Dr. Bobby, with a, a mic stand, and I'm I'm using my very powerful hands to. Yeah, although Sean has a up. much much better backdrop for his sh- his shot. Mine is uh, of the kitchen, so you can see the kitchen behind me. Nothing interesting, just a bunch of shit. I have curtains, but I don't know if the sun's going to brighten up. But behind me, nah, you can't. I've got Logic Peak open space out here in the springs. Oh, Brian just texted me. He said he just got back from Denver. That asshole. Well, we can get him on later. Uh, But anyways, uh, I don't know. So what do you want to talk about, Sean? I think... uh, we could talk about some coronavirus updates and how yeah, our quarantine I mean, it's been, is going. It's fucking nuts. They just announced that Northern Virginia is like on lockdown until yeah. like June, June first for tenth or something. Yeah, because some idiots Virginia were down 10, at yeah. Virginia Beach. Yeah, um, I imagine that's going to be uh, on par, probably with with the way New York City is going, especially since cases just considerably uh increase um like every single day i mean it's pretty scary how bad it's gonna get uh initial reports i think were like a hundred thousand deaths and now uh, i think president trump came out and said something about you know that number potentially being up to two hundred thousand. so i I don't think we're through the uh the worst of it quite yet no absolutely i think the uh the projections that i was reading is that the peak isn't going to be until like may or june or the summer and that uh, wasn't it. Didn't Trump uh, announce like um, the social distancing until April thirtieth? Yeah, I think he, yeah. he extended right. it through April thirtieth. They wanted yeah. to get the economy up and going. I mean, I think the stimulus checks are supposed to come within uh, the next two to three weeks, yeah. um, and that'll be like you know twelve hundred dollars if I think you make less than seventy five thousand. Yeah as an individual or 150,000 or maybe, no, it's like maybe less than a hundred thousand as an individual, less than 150,000 as a combined couple. Yeah. Um, I think 1200 goes up to like 70,000 and then from like 70,000 to 99,000, it like drops off like every thousand drops off like a hundred or something like that. But you know, Rogue is going to be like selling like personal gym stuff hard once that money starts hitting bank accounts. Oh dude, I was actually looking on Rogue's website last night. They're, uh, there are, Shipping delay is like two to three weeks right now because of all the they're getting like crushed with online orders and um, shipping. So we'll, I guess we'll have to see how this turns out. I mean, that 
stimulus check is going to be much needed for me, not really because I'm struggling to live, but because uh, of a lot of other stuff going on in my life. Uh, I'm actually closing the house on thir- the house on Thursday. We're going to be closing oh, on Thursday. That's so exciting. I'm actually covering uh, transfers of property and land in my online classes right now, uh, Zoom University Law School. Um, and so all of that whole process of going through like the deed and, you know, the, the mortgage process, it's really interesting. I, when, when I bought next door here, I, I didn't have any idea whatsoever what I was doing. Like, I think this class has been super helpful, uh, you know, going forward now. So yeah. if you got any questions, you let me know. Like I, I can't give you a hundred percent answers, but I'll be your lawyer. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's been very interesting buying this whole house buying process. The first time I've ever bought a house myself. So it's been very interesting to see the kind of the process. Um, also kind of interesting kind of learning about the intricacies involved with buying a house. Like for example, uh, I'm using the VA loan to, to fund my house. So we actually put out or so we offered the, so the house that we are under contract for their closing on Thursday like the listing price was like 385 we ended up offering 420 on it and then with the va loan uh after you're under contract the va will then appraise the house to make sure the va isn't getting hosed on like an overpriced house and the house actually got praised for 385 um so that means that the va is only going to pay for three hundred eighty-five thousand dollars for the house so we had we went back to our to the seller and, and told the seller that it praised low so you know, the seller, I think maybe might be in the military or something, but the seller was like moving soon. So they wanted to close the house as soon as possible. So the seller actually ended up knocking down the 420,000 that we were under contract for knocking it down to 400. So we actually ended up, um, saving, I guess, $20,000 overall, but I actually had to put a loan, uh, get a loan, personal loan on my truck with my truck as collateral. Uh, to get that cash to close, because now we need like twenty three thousand dollars to close. Yeah, that's it's one of those things uh, when you negotiate too with the sales contract, you can throw in like contingency clauses where mm-hmm. if the house doesn't appraise for what you've uh, submitted as an offer, then like you're willing to pay up to however many thousand um, yeah. in order to cover that with cash. But I think one of the big things that the VA loan is great. I I used it. I I think it's an awesome thing for uh, individuals in the military and veterans to, to buy their first homes um, without having to, you know, amass a, a small fortune for that 10 to 20% down for conventional. Um, but that, that is the, the risk that you run is if the house does not appraise. And so mm-hmm. if you're in a seller's market like it is now where home prices are going up exponentially, a lot of times they're not going to appraise for that value. Uh, and so y- you also find that as a seller, a lot of times the, you know, individuals that make offers on your home, you will be privy to what kind of loans mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they've applied for. And so unfortunately, sometimes people can be like, I don't want to sell to a VA loan because if the price goes up, then like I could be at risk of not being able to close on this house. Yeah. So I actually have a legal question for you because uh, I was thinking about this process from the VA loan because like, is there anything stopping you legally from like offering something extor like some outrageous amount to make sure that you're like the top offer that gets accepted fully knowing that you know that you're the offer they put in isn't really the real offer because you're going to anticipate like the the uh, appraisal coming in low yeah absolutely is um, that legally that, questionable or illegal because i was gonna it would because at the end of the like day bad faith. no it's it's an example of bad faith 
And then not only is it that, when you go through the process of trying to identify things like through a, a standard inspection, the only thing that you can use to break your contract um, have to be like latent defects um, mm -hmm. or be involved with like uh, something that would material materially alter the value of your home, which doesn't account for like small nicks in the floor or faded paint. It has to be something like massive. For instance, out in Colorado, if you don't have a radon inspection uh, or mitigation kit in your basement, like I had, you know, next door, if the potential buyers were to come in, go under contract and say, hey, we want this and I don't provide it to them, then they can rescind their offer. Mm -hmm. But if you come in super high, uh, you can't really breach unless there's only a, you know, a couple instances. And, and those usually revolve around the seller's breach for you to rescind an offer. So like active concealment, um, a lot of states have gone to this idea of uh, misfeasance versus nonfeasance. So do you have to disclose information about your house that you know is an issue? Or if you can just sit there and say nothing and know that the, uh, the buyer has to do that and find it. And if he doesn't find it, then, you know, he's on the, on the bill for it. So yeah, if you come in with a super high offer, especially knowing that your uh, appraisal value is not going to be there, um, purely for the, the intent of locking out all their offers like that, that's bad faith. And, uh, You'll, you could be liable for, for damages, which would probably be anywhere from like holding a uh, check for like that equity that you have to submit, which a lot of times is around like four to $6,000 uh -huh. for just a standard like VA, I think. Money. Yeah. Right. Or um, if you put a down payment, you could potentially do that. And then the other problem is to continue this, you know, slippery slope of being in bad faith. Uh, a lot of states have brokerages fees um, that the seller has to pay. So it's typically like 3% to the broker's mm -hmm. agent, uh, the broker for the seller and the buyer. So 6% total. You don't have to sell the house a lot of times to be uh, responsible for those payments. So the broker only has to provide you someone who is in good faith attempting to purchase. If the contract falls through for whatever reason, you could still be required to pay those fees. So that's just another example as to why as a buyer you should be weary of submitting like a super high bid just to lock it in knowing you're going to try to like you know chop the value down through either the the loan process the appraisal process or the inspections so is there any way that you th that someone could prove that you're doing that out of bad faith because you know in my situation it ended up working in our favor for that but you know i don't know if like we didn't intend to like try and shortchange it based on the approval or the appraisal. So I think like it ended up working out in our favor that it ended up knocking the price down for something that we, you know, so we saved money. So I wonder, is there any way that they could like prove they did in bad faith? I mean, that would have to be one of those, like a, almost like a reasonable person standard. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure. I think, you know, the jurisdictions will have uh, different criteria that they'll evaluate right. every single one of those situations on. But in general, if you're reliant on that mortgage loan um, as the uh, the good faith purchaser and it doesn't come in at the value that you submitted for, you know, the contract or going under contract, uh, that's one of those things that, you know, typically, well, I'll, I'll back up. If you've already secured a loan up to mm -hmm. say $400,000 and the mm -hmm. max that you could have, you know, received as a $400,000 appraisal that you would be relying on, um, at that point, 
you might be able to break in and get out of that contract if you know that that is like a like a, a precedent for going forth and, and finalizing the sale of the house. However, if you were able to secure the loan well before and going ahead and you knew that your upper limit was only for 400K and you submitted something for like 550. Oh, I see. Like right, I, right. I think that would be a pretty clear yeah. uh, indicator that, that you were not operating in good faith. Yeah, like we got pre-approved from mortgage for 450 and offered 420 on a listing price of 385. And we actually had a clause too, if it appraised low, we'd, we'd cover up to $5,000 in cash. But yeah. they ended up appraising $35,000 low uh so that was just like my that's like my thought process like what is stopping me from future houses and like offering like not significantly more but like probably like 10 percent more than market value and then you know seeing getting the top offer and then getting it knocked down with the appraisal so did you guys do a, a title search at all on the property no we didn't but it was a bit, uh you know, it was based on the like the Redfin estimates. We use that as kind of the um, like kind of the goal, and based on like what our realtor told us and like what be competitive offers, uh, we kind of took his advice into account and just pretty much offered what he thought was appropriate. So what I would I would recommend because that outside of the appraisal, what the title is 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 essentially confirming that um, this tract of of land or the actual physical real property of the house is not encumbered by like other liens, mortgages, um, things that would be on record. For instance, like, you know, the the concept of adverse possession, a lot of states have like very strict statutes of limitation now, like Colorado, it's 17 years. But if for instance, someone was living on your backyard or your 50 acres that you might wanna buy, if someone was like living within two or three acres for say 17 years, um, and like you had not done a title search and maybe they had gone and, um, recorded that they now own that property. When you purchase that property, now you are at risk of losing less of the the value of, you know, what you essentially paid for. So I would recommend to anyone out there that is looking to buy a home, do a title search to make sure that you have marketable title, to make sure that it's unencumbered from like any liens, and then also look at like zoning restrictions and requirements because so long as like that property. Um, is not in current violation. Like you might be walking into a situation and you want to build on and there might be like easements, but you know, again, you have no idea what the, you know, local ordinances are that are going to, you know, maybe restrict your ability to really enjoy that property. So food for thought, get a title search. If you're, if you're going to subject yourself to like, you know, a 30 year loan. Interesting. More things that I'm learning about buying a house that I had no idea about. Is there, this, this entire house buying process has been very illuminating to me because it's, it's like such a black box until you actually go through it. Uh, so it's very interesting seeing like all the different parties getting involved in the process and like all the random people. I was like, what the f- like, who are these people that are asking me for like documentation or like, this is very interesting. Oh, it's nuts. And it, like, you think it's stressful as a buyer. It's like, you know, it's, it's almost as stressful as a seller too, because you essentially sell your home three times. It's like when you first put it up on to market and mm-hmm. you're receiving bids uh, and you go under contract. And then the second time is when the inspection uh, is coming back. Um, you know, and again, they're looking for like those latent defects, right. something that would substantially reduce the value of the property. And then the third time is, is you know, once the appraisal comes back, if your loan is, uh, is contingent on, you know, mm-hmm. the, the proper value. So it, it's super stressful and as a buyer if you're waiting on the VA approval like you know 
it, it could be a very long 30 to 45 days if you're doing a relatively short close. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, like the, uh, the people that I am working with, so like my realtor and my lender are all like pretty much on top of it. Like I haven't had to like follow up too much. They've kept me like on time with doing everything and making sure I have everything done. So that was also like really cool for me or like really beneficial to me is fine. Especially like the local lender too. Like we talked about this in one of the couple of weeks ago, I think about finding a local lender versus like USAA or like Navy federal and those large national level level lenders. Yeah. Because uh, they were able, like my local lender, you know, we had like a four month or four week uh, from contract to close. And then like talking to USAA, like they need at least two months to close a mortgage so like just being able to work with a local lender uh was definitely a huge benefit in getting us to close on time yeah i i think <clears throat> if people have the opportunity you know and the privilege that they want to purchase a home uh, a lot of the military you know we, we've got usaa i've got a couple friends that have gone through it i think we talked about it at, at some point a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, going through the loan process you know i USAA is a bank, whatever. Um, but if you can go through like a local thing, you know, I, I think that's preferable because I'll, I'll tell you my experiences with the realtor that I used as well as the uh, local bank, local, you know, um, title and mortgage companies, like they contacted me multiple times mm-hmm. prior to the sale, after the sale, like, you know, the Thanksgiving after um, I bought the house, they were like, hey, come over to the office. We want to give you like a pumpkin pie. And then like a couple months ago, I got a call from my realtor that I, not that I used to sell, but I used to buy to say like, Hey Sean, how you doing? Checking up on you. I mean, TJ was like a phenomenal dude, super personal. But it's like, you'll find that like the local talent, uh, in these areas mm-hmm. will, will be much more established than like maybe some like agent that's sitting down in Houston, Texas, that's taking your call when you're trying to purchase up in Seattle, right. Washington. Yeah. So that's a that's one of my pro tips for anybody else trying to look at buying houses. Like we talked about, just find local people to work with. It makes it way easier. Speaking of houses and the fact that we're all being quarantined right now and sheltered in place, uh, for those of you that are watching uh, the the YouTube stream of this, um, you'll probably notice that one of us looks like Tom Selleck uh, with like a full bushy mustache. The other one looks like Sam Elliott. Again, full bushy mustaches and i of course i'm referring to both uh bobby and i because we've got phenomenal facial hair going on i, I don't know if you can tell my nose broom you is can just coming in see yours oh how dare you this is like uh, because i have like very blonde strawberry that literally blonde. looks like a hitler stash Mm-mm. no you can see it out here see yeah if you it's didn't the, light, the light's got to catch it yeah i'll say like it's more it's way like more concentrated underneath the nose for you like if you're just looking, it looks almost like a Hitler stash, but it's like dude, not I've quite got such enough. a large, massive power nose. If my nose was the average size of a just a normal peasant of a mortal, you might say, uh, then maybe, just maybe, this mustache would look more full. But because I've been blessed by the gods, I, I, I've got a power snash. Very Roman nose. Very Roman, yeah. Very uh, like Northern European, like Isles. But, but yeah, yeah so the, we're we're growing mustaches now, so get on board. Yeah, so like I have not cut my hair or shaved since the beginning of the month when we went on quarantine. Since March first. So this is one month of not cutting my hair or shaving. I'm getting my hair is getting stupid long. I'm like almost able to put it in like a top knot, like a man bun top knot. That's hot. It's uh we, I'm actually we, debating on keeping this as long as possible. <laughs> 
because <laughs> when I I'm gonna PCS to Washington in May, so I'm gonna get need to get a new driver's license. So I figure I might as well keep all this, get a new driver's license. ID cards. Yeah, and then because I'm also gonna get a new CAC uh, when I in process. So obviously I have to be like you know six seventy dash one. So I'm gonna cut my hair, but you know six seventy dash one does let you have mustaches. So I'm gonna have a really it does. bushy bushy mustache for my CAC card. For my new CAC as a uh, active duty captain, it's gonna be dope. Oh, I I know you are so looking forward to going back, uh, you know, to service wearing the uniform. So <sighs> I I don't envy you in the slightest. I am not looking forward to the day that I have to put back a uniform on. I'm gonna that I will say that like I was actually talking to somebody uh, like a West Point classmate a couple like last week, talking about like med school and like different routes for med school. And I was like, I fucking loved having this four-year break from the Army. Like, it's been, like, an awesome, like, reset and, uh, like, break from, you know, the 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 bull- – for lack of a better word, the bullshit that you deal with in the Army on a daily basis. Yeah. It's been great. So I'm not looking forward to coming back in the Army and putting on a uniform and dealing with the actual – dealing with the shit again. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm uh... – I think I, I'm looking forward to hearing the stories of like you having to go to formation PT and, you know, you're going to spend 30 minutes, you know, stretching and 15 minutes doing you know, like calisthenics and then you'll break and go to the hospital and get something to eat, which, by the way, the hospital defects are like a million times better than every other defect uh, that you get like around, you know, That's the true. brigades. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm pretty, I'm, like, 99.9% sure that we don't do organized PT during residency. When you're, like, a, like an actual doctor, like, once you graduate residency, that might be a different story. But I'm, like, 99.9% sure we don't do PT. And I'm, yeah, during residency, at least. Oof. Can you can you imagine? Oh, I know what you're excited about, though. How about the new, are they called the pinks and greens? Pinks and the, greens, yeah, the new ones. Yeah. The new throwback World War II, uh, you know, replacing the ASUs. Those look really good. Yeah, but, like, why the fuck do I need to buy more uniforms? Like, just last year, I had to finally buy the uh, the new OCPs and the new PTs because I'd, I was going uh, this past summer. I went on, on my away rotations to, like, to the active, like, to hospitals. And, of course, you have to actually have the uniforms now. So, like, I had to spend, like, $600 on uniforms and I only have one set of PTs and one set of OCPs. Didn't buy. you say you had to show up in your your class Bs or something? Yeah. So June first is my going to be going to be my report. Well, it's tentatively my report date until I get my fucking orders, which is a whole another story about waiting for orders right now with what's going on with COVID. So June first is supposed to be my report date, and then we're supposed to report in class Bs. So that'll be another hilarious uh, experience. Dude, like you're, like you're pretty jacked. So like Class Bs, look. I got some uh, some of my other buddies that when when I was an aide at Three ID, um, they were their Class Bs uh, when we went to check them out over mm-hmm. at Second uh, Brigade before they went heavy. And the couple of them that are like like big and jacked and burly and like tatted out, it's like I think that's a really good looking uniform. Like if they wanted to switch to that in the summer, I would be all for it because. Uh, like, like it's one of those uniforms. You, if you are fit, like it is a good-looking, almost tailored to your body type, you know, uniform you can throw on. 
Yeah, mine is not very tailored. I think uh, the shirt that I have, I like swimming, like the short sleeve um, ASU shirt. Like I like swimming. It's fucking huge on me. But just the fact that I'll have like visible tattoos and like almost full sleeve, I think will and a and a and a very bushy mustache by then will be my uh, differentiating factor for my peers. I uh, I've got an internship with. Uh the SDNY this summer. So I'm trying to grow mine out so that like I can fit in with that like potential New York style. Like, you know, I'm a cop. Was that, that's Boston. That was a Boston accent. I don't know what accent. I don't know, man. But you know, like, like the other guys, like me and Marky Mark and Will Ferrell are going to go bust, you know, a international crime syndicate. Uh, And I'll just be back there. Like, you know, looking up laws for them and shit, but I'll have a sweet mustache. Yeah. So like, uh, but yeah, I can't, I, I am, I will say I can't wait to move to Washington because I can't wait to move in this new house and actually have like to get my life going. Cause like, um, I don't know about you, but I feel like just, just in limbo right now. Like, I think that's like my biggest thing is that I just don't, there's like so much uncertainty with what's going on with school and moving and PCSing and all this other stuff. Like that's my biggest thing is like, I don't really know what's going to happen or what's going on. I, it's the same here with, you know, the, I, I just mentioned that internship. Uh, I've got buddies that have been told that like their internships might not even happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because whether you're getting uh, an MBA, uh, if you're at like a school in New York, uh, or, you know, you're like in your second year of law school going for internships, like a lot of times that summer gig can pay anywhere from, you know, 15 to 40 K. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like, it's cost prohibitive at that point to bring in interns or they have to fire attorneys or actual bankers because it's, it's cheaper for this intern to work and, you know, be, be given the exact same tasks. So, I mean, it's scary. I don't know what like the, the non-paying internships are going to do, but Mm -hmm. like, I have no idea. And with the pass fail system, like schools are just coming out left and right, like changing up everyone's trajectory for what this last, you know, three months was supposed to be. Oh yeah. It's kind of crazy even for like med school. It's like way crazier for like the third years. Um, because like for those that don't know, just to give some context, like the third year med students, uh, that summer between third and fourth year or the beginning of fourth year is extremely important for the third year med students because that summer is when they take their second set of boards. So the step two, uh, CK and CS, we take two boards that, uh, beginning in the fourth year. And then the beginning of fourth year is also when you do all your away rotations too. So like going to the, the hospitals or places that, you know, you're interested in, in actually, uh, applying and interning at. So that's when you're, you'll go to these hospitals too. So like for all the third and third years right now, like there's so much, um, uncertainty right now. Cause like all the testing centers are closed down so they can't get their boards done. You know, you can't travel to the way rotation, so you can't really get letters of recommendation from, like, really, like, the letters of recommendations you need to build a strong packet. You know, you aren't even going to be in the hospital right now. Like, nobody's in the hospital right now, too. So, like, you're missing out on actual, like, learning that you need to learn for, like, boards and stuff. So, I really empathize a lot with, like, the third years because they're kind of fucked, uh, for lack of a better word. Whereas for me in the fourth year, like, it's just kind of annoying because it's not really like, doesn't really impact me so much. Like I'm supposed to go on an emergency medicine rotation next month. So like, I don't care. Like what, like EM doesn't really teach me. Like I'm not doing EM. So it doesn't really matter to me. Like I understand kind of what emergency medicine looks like. So it's like, it doesn't really impact me so much by not being able to go into do my rotation. It's more so like, 
like honestly like i'm not really impacted by this like it doesn't i know that like my i'll be fine at the end of it like i already matched to residency already had i already know where i'm going it's just a matter of time before it, it shakes itself out but like for the third years like this has like huge implications for the rest of their lives you know with their like how they match a residency you know how successful they are getting the residencies and like where they're gonna go so that's like i feel for the third years because that's really way more stressful than what i'm dealing with oh it's not i mean i feel the same way for you know law school's three years the the students that are finishing up their second year going into what should be an internship that leads to a job offer at the end mm-hmm. of the summer like that's that's at risk now and then yeah. uh every summer we have on-campus interviews for i think most law schools but you know really important for like tier one programs um, to try to get a lot of these um, like business law type jobs that are paying like very top end dollar. Mm -hmm. And so on campus interviews were incredibly important. And so now they've pushed those to the winter. Uh, We're moving to pass fail this semester so that it doesn't impact like that GPA. And then your first semester of your second year will, you know, be indicative of whether or not you really know what law school is testing or you're just you know continuing at whatever you know uh proficiency level that you exhibited as Mm a as a 1l and aren't improving yeah Um, so it's stressful yeah it's like because it sounds like for your perspective it's like becoming harder for you to differentiate yourself from your peers much like as in medicine where it's like you it's becoming very harder to differentiate yourself from your peers in order to go on to these like very selective internships for you and then for residency for us yeah absolutely And, and with law i would I would kind of uh, paint the picture like this. You know, you'll go into a, a class, and in the three years that you're at law school, I mean, everyone knows that, like, contracts is a is a very basic form of law. And in your first year, you take a contract class, and it will be very comprehensive. And then your second, third, you can get into, like, more specifics, like how to draft contracts or, like, contracts that deal specifically with like business contracts that deal specifically with like administrative law and, and you really kind of tailor that but at the end of the day like the guy that gets the c on the exam to the guy that gets the a or the female too the only difference is really maybe how quickly they can apply those concepts to like a, a different challenging set of examples or hypotheticals that get thrown at them because you know you're going to have an opportunity when you're presented with a real life contract problem to go through and reevaluate your notes. And, you know, almost like a math problem, like you're going to start breaking down the Mm -hmm. equation to ensure you get the right answer. Um, So moving to a pass fail is going to be, I think, really difficult for those jobs that wanted to be able to differentiate like the person that gets it the quickest and that like knows it deep in their core without maybe having to do as much research versus someone that just maybe they got it, but they're not as good, right. you know, as, as someone else. So yeah. that, that will be a huge challenge for law firms in the hiring process in the next six months. Yeah. I'm just like very curious to see, you know, like the long-term implications of this long, you know, quarantine process and the whole pandemic. Cause like not only from an economic perspective, from like a social perspective, uh, fitness, economic stand- fitness standpoint, you know, I have a, f- you know, I think that I was talking to Christina like a couple weeks ago, like when the, we started getting quarantined, I was like, this is probably going to be like a good wake up call for a lot of people in America about like obesity and fitness. Cause like I've never seen, cause my, my desks like uh, sits in the window so I can see outside and see the street from my window, uh, from my desk. And I've never seen so many people running before in my life or walking around outside. Like no, I've never like ever, like it'd be like one person a day I could, I would see running. But I see like five people every hour running by now just because there's nothing else to do with quarantine. So I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, hey, you know what? 
you know, and and especially with like the, how COVID or, or SARS-CoV-2, like the virus seems to be, you know, killing more people that looks like 80% of people that are dying from it are obese or have medical conditions related to obesity, like high blood pressure or, you know, like diabetes. Like those are the three biggest like comorbidities that predict, you know, more like killing you is that being, if you're overweight, if you have high blood pressure or diabetes, like the big three that are linked with, you know, being able to survive this. Which is kind of funny because if you think about it, like heart disease in America kills like a thousand people a day or like, yeah, you know, but like it takes like one pandemic virus where people realize that your health is important to you. But it's just like, where was like this care or like, where is this dedication to fitness, you know, before the pandemic when, you know, a thousand people or I don't know what the number is, but like some, it's like 150,000, 150,000 people a year die from uh, heart disease alone doesn't include like diabetes or anything else, just some heart disease, like 150,000 people a year die in America a year. So it's kind well, of I crazy. I think the difference with that is, is almost like a level of responsibility there. So the people didn't want to acknowledge the fact that obesity related illnesses are so fatal, uh, to the general public because it would have to be an admission of, Oh, this is something that I could have controlled. And if mm. you can control it, then, by identifying what that X factor is, well, then are you also condemning those individuals that aren't making healthy choices? Where I think this one um, is more impactful to get people to be fit and to stay healthier and and you know eat cleaner because they feel there's not as much controls that you know they they have. This is like the pandemic might hit you, you might get you know sick, but it's going to be your fitness that you control that might you know be uh, the the, the determinative factor whether you live or you die so it's like it's less of a i have to take onus of my situation and more oh i can take um precautionary steps to limit you know the impact of this disease do you, do you get what i'm saying no i don't really get understand where you're coming from <laughs> sounds like you're saying the same exact thing both situations <laughs> no so like the first the first one like people don't want to acknowledge like their personal shortcomings or you uh-huh. know acknowledging that they fail to keep themselves healthy and so like, that's one reason why people maybe like didn't want to work out. Whereas this one, they want to work out because like, it's a, it's like this tangible disease that they can see. Oh, like I see what you're saying. It's like a more of an immediate threat. Whereas like heart disease, like you, like you don't see the effects on like being fat until yeah. you're like 50 or 60 when you start having heart. Like, okay. I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. It's uh, not like you go to a cracker bale and you're sitting around going, holy shit, I'm going to catch heart disease from one of these people with the 55 stack pancakes. I, I, I got you saying. Yeah. I was just thinking that like, from my perspective, I think more people are just going to get more into fitness because like being under quarantine, I think people are going to start doing fitness more and then realize, or, or start eating better too, just taking care of their bodies better. Cause there's nothing else to do with their time. Cause that's, I think that's one of the biggest um, challenges or impediments impediments to fitness or health is that people think they don't have enough time to like put in the time to work out to eat healthy to not order out not you know what i mean well how, so how's feel, your fitness been because uh, you've been doing like a 10k a day on your skier yeah which... like i'm i'm in like great cardiovascular conditioning um but like that's what just to go back real fast like but that's what i was talking about with like um just people having the finding the time to like work out and eat healthy I think that I'll, they'll see like, oh, I feel really good when I work out every day or I, I feel really good when I run and I feel really good when I eat like fruits and vegetables like I should be doing. So I think I think a lot of people are going to realize that um, 
these habits are sustainable and that, you know, they feel good from, you know, doing these things and they'll carry over like the habits they build during quarantine into normal life. So that's like kind of where I think people are going to do that. But then yeah, based on think, what you said, what do you okay. think the impact is going to be on box? I mean, cause like, I, I think a lot of CrossFit gyms aren't going to survive this. Yeah. Um, unless they're like, you know, huge, but I think people are going to realize maybe that the, what do you think the average person before we go into this spends a year that goes to a CrossFit box? Like what that, that membership costs. So I think it's about a hundred, depending on where you are, I think it's about 150 a month for generally speaking for CrossFit. It's usually what I tell people. So I'm not going to, God damn it. You're going to make me do the math. 150 times 12 is uh, 12, five, six is 1800. Yeah. So $1,800 uh, a year to essentially, you know, work out and, and hang out with friends. I know you can get almost all of the gear that you would need for $1,800 for a garage gym, like oh, a yeah. basic, basic barbell set from, I went to, uh, when I, when I got my gym stuff, I think I spent in total $2,100, but that included a rower. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't get the rower and I live on a hill or I lived on a hill here in Colorado, so I really didn't need the, the cardio piece. Um, I think that would have been like just over like a thousand dollars would have gotten me like 500 pounds in weights, uh, a bar and a rack and a bench. Yeah. Like the bare essentials, like do strength and conditioning work at home. But I think, yeah, but that's good. That's a great point that you bring up is like, um, you know, what are box or what are gyms in general going to do after this? Cause I think like everybody's, uh, buying equipment. Like you can, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast about how rogue is sold out of everything all the like fitness manufacturers are all sold out of everything because people are buying up all this shit to start their own garage gym so that's a good point i wonder what is going to happen um for crossfit like boxes or just gyms in general after this because um the ones that do survive like the pandemic in terms of that don't go under uh with their bills you know there's a pretty good chance that some of those members that started at the pandemic aren't going to be there at the end of the pandemic because they're going to have garage gyms you know so why would you pay the 150 a month it is for crossfit gym when you can just work out at home and get the same effects well and then but then you can talk about like the community aspect and like yeah the social sure. and, and interactions that you know that people depend you know this goes back like that to, to i'm like i shouldn't be the one talking about this but like for economics like you know the the value comes that comes from crossfit it isn't necessarily it doesn't extend to just fitness but also like the social interactions and friendships so like people can pay you know i don't know so i'm but i'm yeah but long story short i do think that gyms are or especially like small business gyms will be facing a huge uh you know challenge to their livelihood which i empathize with also also yeah, the reason awful. why i haven't canceled my gym membership yet is because i feel i actually feel you know emotionally uh i would feel emotionally responsible if my gym went under and i cancel my membership so yeah i mean that that would be the worst because like a lot of these owners are super personable they got into the business because they love seeing the fitness community and people improving themselves and there's always something new that you can learn through a a different set of movements or Mm -hmm. you know people coming through and you know partnering up to provide not 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 now just good fitness but nutrition with Mm -hmm. like local kitchens I mean, so it's like a gigantic community. I think you're going to have like a good amount of people that realize, okay, well, I can save on both commuting time and long-term costs by getting this, you know, the, the gym essentials for a year. And then I don't know what, 
you know, some of these CrossFit boxes charge, like I think like Misfit Athletics, you can do their online programming. Yeah. Uh, for, programming. Yeah, like 50 or 80 bucks a month. So if like you wanted to invest in that instead of going to the gym, but you just miss out on like competing against your friends because yeah. that was one of the, the more fun parts of going to boxes. And I mean, like that's one of the reasons why, like even when I had like a, a garage gym and some gym equipment, I would prefer to go lift at like Audie Murphy at Benning um, or at the CRTF uh, at Hunter because you you were just surrounded by people getting after it and it was motivating. Yeah. I was like, that's the biggest thing that I dislike about working out at home is that there's nobody else there to kind of push me. Not saying that like I derive the majority of my motivation from like, you know, other people like extrinsically, it's a lot of intrinsic motivation, but you know, that's like the difference between like 95% effort and like a hundred percent effort. That 5% is like the social interaction, those people around you that, you know, you don't get at home. So like, I've been like working out a lot. I probably do like, two hours a day of working out right now at home ish uh so i'm like in really good shape but it's it's not like enjoyable you know you know what i mean i've been like it's more of like a chore to me to like right now to like to to work out because for me it's like um like i want to work out but it's like i i know i have to do this in order to maintain my sanity in this times oh uh, i mean it's like a it's like almost like a check on reality when when i would run i mean it, for anyone that's followed the military prep programming, um, one of the, my favorite things to to program is 400 meter intervals, and whether that's 400 meter intervals with like a 60 second rest, but on a, a 90 second interval, or you know running like a six to 6:30 mile per hour pace with uh, like a nine minute recovery pace, I think 400s are an incredible tool um, that builds your speed into longer distance running. But if I'm by myself doing it, like I, I remember a couple times. I would hit like a 85 to an 86 on these 400s and be like, I know I can go faster. And then you go and I'd run them with like Dan mm-hmm. and with Dan, I'm like, okay, like I need to hit 80 flats. Cause I know like at, at any time Dan's going to pick it up and try me to blow me out of the water on one of these 400s. So I, I can't let him do that. I need to like, mm-hmm. you know, pr- set this gap up for myself of a couple seconds. So without that, you know, but like, I think people too, that have, that have lifted long enough by themselves or done enough cardio by themselves, they, they get to the point where they know what that that internal motivator is going to be, um, and when you find that workout for for you know your person, it's almost like you know you're going to push yourself regardless of whether you got people around you, just because you got the maturity. Yeah, I so was like, I generally like for me, like I do a like uh, like challenge channel. I do like 10k a day of cardio. Uh, so usually that's 10k on the skier, but. I'm kind of been toning that down a little bit because I started developing these like really weird like hip issues because uh, I think I'm developing like overuse injuries because I'm skiing 10k a day, uh, which is in my mind the equivalent of running five miles a day. So if you just put that in perspective, skiing 10k is like running five miles a day. You're ready to be a field grade, bro. Yeah, like I my cardio conditioning is like insane right now. Um, I'm actually kind of curious right now. Like I haven't taken my heart rate or done any of those. Um, um, like a biometric testing so i am very interested interested to see like what my resting heart rate is going to be right now because i have a i have a suspicion it's going to drop even more because i'm literally running five miles a day for the last three weeks i've run <laughs> so it's like you know obviously my heart rate's going to go down and some other like biometric stuff will be interesting to see yeah i think that that's it's awesome too when you but again it speaks to the fitness level of both you and individuals that can be presented a challenge like this of, okay, we're taking your barbells away. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we're taking all the equipment that you've become comfortable with, and now you really have to condition yourself to what is uncomfortable, unfamiliar, um, uncharted territory of like a lot of body weight stuff. I know it's like what a lot of people on, you know, we've been trying to program for them over the mm-hmm. last two weeks um, with what stuff. So like military prep, hoping, assuming that, you know, most people have their uniform available to them um, at home, the plate carrier, a ruck, maybe a sandbag, and then like some very minor, you know, equipment like bands and, um, you know, maybe a couple free weights. But mm-hmm. outside of that, like, you know, you got to make do with what you got. Yeah. And that's like, uh, I think that's been a, a very uh, unintended consequence, I'll, I would say, from this pandemic is that from a programming perspective, it's definitely been more challenging uh, and more, you know, I guess making me think and program a little more creative, creatively uh, to, you know, program to make it low or no equipment to still get the same, you know, uh, stimuli uh, that we usually program for. So it's been very in- like an interesting perspective to me. And I think I'll actually take a lot of this um, kind of perspective from the quarantine into future programming uh, with some of the other stuff. Cause I, I, it's like, pre- you can still be pretty effective, you know, oh, not having oh, any. For sure. Yeah. I think what a lot of people are concerned about is, like losing some of those upper level uh, peaks that they were hitting on a strength cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think what what I found is is working well because the, the weight set that I have here only goes up to like 315. It's like, you know, pistols are still a great accessory, you know, movement to really stress some of that balance that you're going to run into as you start loading the weight up, uh, you know, to isolate, you know, just the, the one leg. Um, and it would be way more, I think, if doing pistols for volume feels way heavier than doing like, you know, squats at 225. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff yeah. like that. I mean, like you can always just mix it up. Yeah. That's a good point that you brought up about people being concerned about losing strength, uh, or mass. And that's one thing, uh, we, we talked about on Q and a, I want to say like last week, we talked about like how to maintain strength and mass during, um, quarantine. But those that kind of missed that discussion, basically, uh, what I said is that, you know, with uh, hypertrophy, you have like three mechanisms of hypertrophy. Uh, you have like uh, tension, you have muscle damage, and you have metabolic stress. Those are kind of the three mechanisms of um, hypertrophy. So using those same principles, like um, you can still maximize like tension, you can maximize muscle damage, and you maximize metabolic stress through a variety of different methods. Um, so like with tension, you can increase your tension in your workouts by, you know, making tempo make it single-legged, making like an awkward movement. There are a lot of different ways they can do to uh, still have the stimuli to maintain mass and strength. You might lose lose a little bit of strength at the top end, like, you know, going from like a 405 back squat to like a 365 or 385, you know, like, like yeah. not like a huge drop, but you'll gain it back relatively quickly as long as you stay consistent and still keep working out and still stressing your body. Yeah, no, I mean, those are all... Those are all great points. I mean, at the end of the day, I think there are enough programs out there that have like something different that you could do every single day mm-hmm. that will make muscles in your body that you didn't know you have hurt. I, I when we first went under quarantine, um, I started doing like trail runs because uh, I could get like you know some great elevation change in there. But then like a couple days after I did these runs, I would find my hips, my ankles, my knees. Oh yeah, were like very sore because I wasn't running on this like flat path, like interval course that I'd already set up that it was like, you know, there's way more balance involved. So 
like stuff like that is just it's great. And if you want to learn like something new, like you're in quarantine, if you can't do handstand pushups, like start practicing handstand pushups. Like that's a that's a great opportunity for you to go back to the gym with a new skill set, maybe more gymnastics focused. Yeah, um, exactly. Than you had before because. I mean, like you look at all the top CrossFitters, and I think we should talk about the fittest documentary here. Like all the top CrossFitters, a lot of them are like gymnasts at heart. Like they are fantastic with body weight uh, between all of the handstand walking, ring work. Like these individuals have really mastered movement. And so throwing on weight is just like it's that cherry on top that gets them into the games versus the guy that like you were talking about. He told you he could go to the CrossFit games because he can clean, what, 315, but he can't walk on his hands two feet. Like, you know, there's gaping holes in people's uh, skill sets. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's a great point you bring up about like learning new skills in quarantine. Uh, I started uh, not just fitness related, but I started learning how to program. Uh, I started learning, started learning Python uh, just as a new skill set uh, for the future. So that's a great point they bring up about like using this time you have in quarantine to learn something new or to do something you've never done before because you know what the fuck else are you gonna do? There's only so much Netflix you can watch a day. There's only so much like compu- there's only so many games you can play a day. Have you so heard about Joe Exotic? Dude, don't get me started on Tiger King. I can't. I can't stand Tiger King. Uh, Christina and I watched the first two episodes and I'm just over it. I oh. just can't get into it. I can't believe it went on for, I think it's nine episodes. Like yeah, it's every single ridiculous. episode. I'm like, oh, this has to be the end. And then you're just like, holy shit, how much worse can it get for these big cat owners? Like, I think everyone can agree, though, that like, she who shall not be named definitely killed her husband. <laughs> like, I just, I think, I think those tigers ate him. It's fucking bull. I just don't understand why people, like, the obsession with it. It's just like, this is just like the same thing as like came up with the Kardashians, minus just a different like population or different audience. Oh, okay. No, 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 different no, no, subject. no. I, I think there are 19 seasons of keeping up with the Kardashians. I've watched a lot of them on Hulu, uh, in my downtime. Those people are talentless. Joe exotic. And like the individuals that are caring for these big cats, at least they have like a skill set. Like granted when they show videos of like big cats in the wild, their cats look very fat in their cages because they can't exercise or run. Mm. But I don't understand, to be honest, though, like what the big obsession is with big cats. I, I'll, I'll be the first to say I hate cats. I am, I am not a fan of fucking cats. So I don't care that the cat just happens to be six hundred pounds. So I will say you're fucking wrong right now uh, because you've never experienced it. I being up close and personal with a big cat. So I was up close to experience. a pit bull. I'm good. Pit so bull. Uh, some context for this. So like there is one, I guess, quote in like the first episode with like. There is something intoxicating about the power of being in the midst of a big cat. I was like, that's fucking true. Because when I was 19, uh, I through West Point, I went to China for a summer exchange program. And we went to a tiger park in China. And it was fucking sick. So this is like, um, you could, I guess, you know, animal lovers, you know, don't listen to the rest of this because it's probably going to bother you. But um, you, there's this tiger park in China. So, like, you know, it's China, so there's, like, no fucking rules. You can do whatever the fuck you want with these animals. So, essentially, like, we uh, were in this bus, and they just drive you around the enclosures, right? And then they had a portion where you could pay money. You could buy live animals to feed the tigers in the enclosures. That's so, awesome. like, all my classmates, yeah, we, we po- like, pulled all our money together and ended up buying a goat to feed to these tigers. So, we, you know, pay the whatever it is, pay the person, and then... 
you see this like SUV roll out and it's like arm it's like armored for some reason like the tires are like armored and then like has like the, all the windows are like barred so tigers can't get into the windows but basically the tigers knew what was going on because I'm um, you know they know like when the SUV rolls out that it's meal time yeah it's like Pav loves dogs yeah so like immediately when they see the SUV come out the tigers like four or five tigers just start like creeping over and then you see that the back door open of this of the SUV and this goat just gets kicked out. And you see the fucking tiger just running at it. One grabs it, and a bigger tiger runs up and just janks it from the smaller tiger. And then uh, just goes into like the tall grass and like actually, pl- I have like video of this. Uh, the the tiger actually like plays with the goat, like where like kind of lets it like run away a little bit, and then catches it and pulls and pulls it back in the grass. It's fucking wild. Oh, and that's then, like killer rails with seals, man. Dude, it's fucking dope. And then uh, after the like the the trip through the bus enclosures. They we like went on like a walking trip or like around the actual like pens I guess that they had, and then there you could still buy like uh, chickens and like chunks of meat to like give to the tigers. So we were buying like ch- chickens, live chickens, and like throwing them over the cages and watching like tigers like fighting each other for the ti- for the chickens and like watching the uh, tigers like defeather the chickens and eat the chickens. That was fucking sick. And then you could buy like these. Um, like tong, like you can buy like a tong or like just chunks of meat on like a tong so you could like hold up the cage so there's i have like a video of me holding up like a top like a piece of meat to the cage and the tiger just sitting there like with this like claws like in the cage like like from me to you like to my laptop like inches away and then just sitting there like licking licking the meat trying to eat the meat through the cage and i was like touching it i was like this is fucking wild so long story short like it is until you experience like being in cl- up close and personal with a tiger or like a big cat, you don't you don't really appreciate it until you see it until you experience it. Yeah, but it. It, it goes back. I'm like I'm not I'm not unimpressed by how big these creatures are. I'm just not like turned on like these morons are that are like Dude. I'm, I need to go spend six hundred dollars to pet a tiger. Like it's like the same thing that I don't. I'm not a huge fan of zoos to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's awful, um, you know, how we, we capture these animals and take them out of their habitat. It's not like their habitat's really, you know, viable any longer with the, the way the world has evolved and grown. But, like, those things should be out in nature. Like, th- your killer whale shouldn't be swimming around no. like a, a football field-sized tank. Like, that thing needs to be out in the wild. No, uh, I 100% but, agree. Like, now that I'm older, because this was back when I was, like, 18 i went to china to, to like from this trip so obviously like that's like a decade ago you know my perspective has changed i actually don't really i don't go to zoos anymore because it kind of depresses me seeing animals in zoos um but i was just saying like i just shared that experience just to show that just to illustrate how i can i can like supremely identify with what joe exotic says about how like it's kind of cool to have or like you know i can see the allure of having like a big cat to like taking care of one because it is pretty fucking cool yeah, I mean, no, it's 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 very cool how massive these things get and their athleticism, um, and you know when they do get to go on a hunt, whether or not it's like you know fake, just so that you can watch someone like what you know you got to experience in China, like mm-hmm. that's cool, like that's nature on nature. Like I one of uh, I think our favorite Instagram accounts is Nature is Metal. Oh yeah, Nature is Metal, yeah. Um, which is just great. Like if you want to watch like. Uh, they had a video, and it's a sad video because I think the the male lion got euthanized. But it was like this lion was eating some carcass of like a water buffalo or something, and a, another male tiger got too close, and that tiger went and broke that tiger that that lion's back. And so like that lion was just basically crawling along on its you know front paws, 
and I think they euthanized it. I think it was uh, in Kenya or something at a preserve. I was like, that's just power. That is, that's raw. That is Matt Fraser going and hitting like a 380 uh, clean at the CrossFit Games to ensure that he's going to be in first place on that final day. That that's just raw power. Yeah, it's pretty dope. I will be, I will be like straight up. Like I can easily see why people are very enamored by these tigers and big cats because you know it is wild just uh, just imagine the power like they could like there's very i think there's very few things or like there are very few circumstances where you where like us as human beings are you know exposed to something that could literally kill you with one move with one motion like there's very few things that you can think about like animals or like living things that could kill you with one motion and it's just like being up close and personal with something that can kill you like immediately you know it's kind of cool yeah that is cool i mean i think uh there was a that Joe Rogan, uh, like meme where I don't even know if it was a meme. He might've said this in real life. I, I can't keep track of like what a meme and what's real Joe, but he was like, can you imagine if we taught like gorillas how to weightlift, like oh, how yeah. massive they already are? <laughs> like, that, that's a, that's pretty good. Can you imagine that? Imagine if Harambe had been like, you know, deadlifting and, and squatting and snatching. I don't think like we'd have like a rampage style type event going on our hands yeah. where we'd really have to have the rock come save us. Yeah. That's like, yeah, it's very interesting seeing like, cause you know, I think with modern society, like we're so insulated from like wildlife that, you know, you don't really appreciate the power or size of some of these things until you see them in person. Oh like, dude, oh, when shit. I go running up here on the hill, like that's one of the things that I'm like almost terrified of, uh, mountain lions, mountain lions, because like there are a lot of like, switchbacks um there you know there's a lot of very tall uh like scrub oak back there um a lot of dead foliage so like i have to be listening more so than doing anything else because like i'm not going to be able to see this thing and i'm just thinking like and i don't think a mountain lion gets you know huge but 75 to 150 pounds of like mountain lion pounds. yeah like, like oh size. my god i'd be fucked i'm like i'm constantly looking around like what rock can i grab can i grab that rock can i grab that rock and if i got the dogs with me it's like which one of you is the slowest? Yeah. But like, I'll save you, but I just want to know because like, I don't want my throat first gone after because then I'll yeah. be helped to nobody. Yeah, that's wild. Like, that's kind of, that's also, that's a great point. Like, man, it's like, it's scary. Na- nature's scary. Like, get out there. Like, scary. like I, I feel badly for sharks, for instance. Like, we're on a fucking tangent here, but I feel bad for sharks. Like, 100 million sharks are killed every year. And it's like, they get a couple surfers. A couple, not, even. Yeah. not they get a couple swimmers like Australia and New Zealand were like real famous for all because I think the Australian prime minister one time was killed by a great white, but it's like we we kill millions upon millions uh, of sharks and we're so afraid of them when we go swimming in the ocean. It's like it, it's almost like an unfounded fear I think at yeah. this point. But yeah. those things, sharks are fucking scary. Like that's the Apache of the water. Mm-hmm. Like very interesting. I do well. I will say I do enjoy going to aquariums because I think aquariums are different from zoos because aquariums, you know, you have marine like fish don't know the difference between swimming and like. Well, actually, I don't fucking know if they know the difference, but in my mind, aquariums are okay because the fish are not smart enough to realize they're in an enclosure, so it's not really depressing for me to go to an aquarium. But it's depressing as shit for me to go to a zoo and see like a lion in a zoo just sitting there, you know, not where it's in its intended habitat. So that makes me sad. It's awful. I, I I really hope that they do something about, like, the... As much as I dislike going back to Joe Exotic, uh, like, the big cat sanctuaries. Yo! 
chill. <laughs> chill. As much as I hate, like, the big cat sanctuaries, and the, I think, like, the big cat law should definitely be passed um, to prevent individuals from, from having this kind of, you know, powerful animal just at their disposal, because it's just unfair to the animal. Yeah. Um, at the same time, the sanctuary shouldn't profit from, from the big cats that they're saving either. Yeah. Not to get into Tiger King, but I think that Rogan no. says something about oh. that too. He like, um, he says that I think there's like a statistic that there's like more tigers in Texas than there are in like wild in the wild in, in the world or some shit like that. It's like crazy. Yeah, no, about it, too. I think there are. What did they say? There's only like two thousand wild tigers. Uh, and there are, are alone like 6,000 uh, in their cages. Dude, you can see my stash right now. It's great, isn't it? Can that's you see a sha- it? That's a shadow. Mm-mm. That's just this natural... It's uh, my natural musk. Yeah, I want to have like a whole persona, by the way. Like the whole uh, Jackson Maine from A Star is Born. Like maybe I'll grow my hair out longer. And I don't know. I'm just going to... When you get famous, people just want to call you by your full name it's just jackson oh my god but yeah uh tigers are dope big and big tigers or big cats are pretty fucking sick zoos are bad uh you know you shouldn't you shouldn't be allowed to to own these wild animals on your public on your private property no i i feel bad for we're still on this animal thing why are we we're still on it but like yellowstone like I feel bad for the animals up in Yellowstone because they're getting used to people feeding them. So like the, the the wolf packs that are going through there are like you know slowly encroaching onto space that doesn't belong to the park, and they're getting mm-hmm. killed. And the bear population and elk population. I mean, it's just it's awful what we do to to yeah. the environment. Um, Say so maybe maybe the pandemic isn't co- coronavirus. Maybe the pandemic is humans. I'm not, that's like a, oh, it's so, that's like something you see on like an Etsy board or, <laughs> or hey, some yeah. like Instagram post from some chick who's like, I was going to promote this tea today, but maybe humans are the cancer to the world. I, I mean, if you think about it, like humans are a virus or an infection on planet earth. If you think about it that way. Okay, Ultron. Like, I would great, like snap in a heartbeat if I had the power. Oh, if I had the power, yeah, I'd snap. I'd snap twice, like just to really get the the levels down. Here's a question now. I mean, because if you're still listening to the podcast, you know we're just going to go on tangents. When Tony Stark resnapped his hands at the end of that movie, and this uh-huh. is so long ago, there were probably a lot of people that were in aircraft at yeah, the time yeah, of the yeah. snap. There were a lot of people that were in some precarious situations driving. Okay, whatever. How do they get snapped back? Are you telling me that these thousands of people that were on flights get snapped back and have to die again at 35,000 feet, free-falling to their deaths? Or are they like their body was in motion at 80 miles an hour on a highway, and all of a sudden that's exactly where they get re-snapped, so they're getting like splattered effect? Like That's something that the Avengers didn't solve a problem for. In fact, I think that was causing more harm than the harm of just reducing the total population by half. I don't know about that. I mean, maybe like 5%, but, you know, 50% was 5%, whatever. And what about all the animals? So we snapped, like, humans out of existence. Like, 
I think it was all living things got cut in half by no, Thanos. No, it's humans only. It's humans I only. don't think, no, it was It was not just humans because it was like that on all the other planets. Like all the other planets had their populations cut in half. So I don't think it was just like sentient beings oh, that, was that sentient were capable. Beings. No, I think it was like in general all like creatures were snapped in half. So then now you got to think like what happens to all the fish and wildlife that are out, that are out there. I, I don't think the writers did a very good job of closing that loophole for me. It's fine, Sean. I think I think the Russo brothers are more than uh, happy to deal with that criticism for not exploring that plot hole more or explaining that plot hole more. I mean, we really didn't explain it that much, but I assure you bodies were dropping from the sky as a result of Tony Stark trying to bring these people back. Rather than just destroying the stones and killing Thanos, because they had the upper hand, they had them on Earth, we had to bring these people back. Ah, that's a decision I would have made really easy. I would have been like, destroy the stones, snap, goodbye. Like, look how great the earth is now. I uh, Here's another statistic. We talk about corona. People are like, you know, uh, I want you to imagine like a close friend or family member. You have to name them. They're going to get coronavirus and die. When like, you know, the whole uh, statistic is like 1% to 2%. It's like, I don't think I know 100 people where I could be like, I have to pick one or two. How about this? It's not, I don't think that's like the most, well, that's, I think what people kind of struggle with to understand the magnitude of the situation, but it's like for those greater than 80, I believe it's like a 20% mortality rate. So, you know, if you have grandparents, that's one of your grandparents dying. If you think about it that way. That's a better way to phrase it instead of just pick someone. I mean, if we're playing the pick somebody game, like there's a whole bunch of bad people that I'll just like start naming. Yeah. So that's like the thing to think about is just like it's like twenty percent mortal in like elderly people greater than eighty. So if you think about like grandparents, you have four grandparents, one of your grandparents, if they catch it, it's probably gonna die. I feel like pretty badly for like the, the senior population we have in this country. Like you think of I don't know if it's like in our lifetime we're gonna have as many ups and downs as they did, but if you were of the World War Two generation, the mm-hmm. greatest generation, you had to live through the Great Depression. You had to live through, like, a very trying time uh, through the New Deal to, like, grow into the society that we were in to then just do every decade, like, a major war yeah. between World War II, Korea. You get to the 60s, and you're like, oh, thank God, like, we have a time to, like, relax. And then your kids turn out to be, like, baby boomer hippies um, that want, like, you know, all these handouts that you yourself never got to experience because you had to earn it the hard way, and then you're like, whatever. Then you have Vietnam, and then you're like, shit, like, it's finally going to get better. And then you have, like, a nice period between, like, maybe the, you know, 80s to mid-2010s, and all of a sudden, 2020, you're like, like, oh, my God, like, you know, it's not been too bad. And then they're like, LOL, here's coronavirus, as if, like, your lifetime of, you know, now these individuals are anywhere from... 90 to 100 years old wasn't like bad enough at the beginning like we're gonna fucking bookend it for him with some other awful scenario like god i hope my life doesn't have like the bookends like that for sure yeah but then i guess even if it does have the bookends would you even know it was bookend yeah probably i'm probably like man i'm really old like it's probably gonna come but i really hope it's not this coronavirus yeah yeah i just empathize but whatever you know we should, if you're young and healthy like us, you should do the right thing and not, you know, and just do the right thing and stay home and quarantine and not be like these people that have quarantine parties. 
Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed by New York City right now. Like I am a New York State, New York City resident, so if you can't pick it up from my accent or my love of pizza, like you're just being wrong and stereotypical. This is what a New Yorker looks like. Okay, we're all different. Um, those idiots in that city, when the U.S. Navy ship showed up, like the U.S. Comfort, Navy yeah. Comfort or whatever, like hundreds of people were lining the river taking photos of this thing like a bunch of morons. Like, did you not just see what happened in Virginia? Like, June 10th, that's when people can go back to maybe living a normal life. Like, New York is about to put itself on some massive, very strict shelter-in-place quarantine-type um restrictions to, to people's movements. I have to move back into the city at some point this summer. I don't want to be barred from doing that because your dumbass wanted to take a photo of a ship. Yeah, I think the uh I think this is a great kind of example of Western or maybe American ideals contrasting with um so like individual liberties co- contrasting compared with the greater good. You know, in Western American culture we're always like fucking, you know, told from birth that, you know, you have these rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whereas in the rest of the world, like the vast majority, like over 50% of the world, like you look at China and like Korea or uh, even Germany, like people, these countries with like pretty, with the histories of like authoritarian, totalitarian style, you know, uh, governments, the ones that have a understanding or an appreciation of the greater good triumphing over or like takes the greater good press takes precedence over your individual liberties you know that's a great i think case study in contrasting how like look at south korea like south korea you know has had like minimal cases because you know once they found out that coronavirus was coming they just locked everything down like people stayed home because that was the right thing to do because people understood you know my it might be shitty for me you know to stay home for a month like i can't see my friends like oh it's kind of shitty but the greater good of the country and the greater good of the uh, of the entire population takes precedence over you know my situation so that's like a whole like you know commentary on uh western and you know civil liberties versus or not civil but individual like rights versus the greater good and i think being like from me my perspective like i get i can see you know the the advantages and disadvantages of both systems um, so, you know, I think it's just kind of, you know, Americans inherently are pretty, are inherently selfish and care about themselves just because just, that's just a system that Americans are born into, you know, well, I think on, it comes down to like government, the, like the history of our interpretation of, uh, you know, the constitution, our, our primary law source compared to other countries and what they use for, you know, their doctrines, like in, in Europe, for instance, like hate speech is very restricted and it's mm-hmm. it's punishable here in the United States, like unless there's some sort of imminence um, to that speech or rhetoric that is going to like incite violence immediately. Like you can get away with saying almost anything. It's, it's why, you know, if a group of Nazis wants to walk down the street during, you know, doing a rally, like you have that freedom. Um, and it's like it's grown through like this idea of substantive due process and, and what does speech just inherently mean. And so for a nation that we constantly have a lot of these privileges uh, available to us on a daily basis, it's like if, if you're telling me I can't do something, it's just like it's inherently not within our our persons Psyche. to like acknowledge yeah. that and go like, no, no, like I can do whatever I want. And it's like, OK, well, like at some point, I think there has to be a check. And the government has to be able to step in and, you know, I, I just hope there's not like too many people that are really like grossly affected by this and the economy can, can bounce back. But 
I think selfish people are really ruining this whole thing. It's like the the guy from the the jazz, like going and touching all the microphones, making light of coronavirus. Yeah, and then he tested positive for it. Like that dude's an asshole. Yeah, hundred like, percent. But that's that, like that. But that's like the point that I was, that I think I think we're both saying the same thing. It's just like you can see it's kind of interesting, like the how you know the cultural zeitgeist of America precludes america from having you know a very effective response to this because we don't we have this very um this very you know not idealistic but like this in like this uh culture of independence and you know per, like your you know rights as an individual and we don't really well probably not until like since world war ii that we had had to experience like you know taking account of the greater good versus the individual so maybe those would be yeah. good to like illustrate that in American culture, or like after nine eleven, for example, like after nine eleven, people are like, you know, the, we're gonna actually. I don't even know if that's a good example because I don't know how many people like sacrificed in their individual lives to further the country. Does that never mind? Nine eleven is not a good example. I mean, there was like some more, like you know, there was a, a stronger nationalism flair, but I, I think that's what it needs to. There needs to be some level of a like a national movement that like unifies people and. Not like, not the half-hearted type of nationalism. Like we're gonna really combat global warming. Like a true like, people need to hold each other accountable and like prevent stupidity from happening because yeah. it's it's like it's negatively impacting like the people that didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And that's like the then that's the worst part too is like the people that you know are most risk for you know dying from something like this is that they're not the ones that are walking around. It's like it's people like us, the healthy. Was it like the fifty percent of COVID cases in New York City are in the eighteen to forty age group? Because it's like, yeah, because they don't take it seriously and they're fucking and, around. And so, like on a on a political like point here, like I think a lot of that comes down to like leadership. Um, and I know a lot of journalists are calling President Trump out on the uh, the White House lawn for the rhetoric that he used to describe uh, COVID-19 all the way through, you know, February, even beginning of March, mm-hmm. and really just discounting it. And, you know, his rationale for that is he wanted to keep the, the country um, positive and uh, didn't want to create like a negative atmosphere. But the problem with that is, is because you don't instill any fear in people they don't think it's an issue. And so now we got to the point where people are like, well, why would this person go to spring break? Or why would this person go to the beach? It's like, well, because for the majority of Americans that are, you know, of a, you know, certain, uh, uh, what is it? Political ideology, like their, their leader has been saying like, this is not a big deal. And so it's just like, there has to be some accountability at all Mm -hmm. levels for making the situation what it is. It's like, you know, I'm sure the leader in South Korea as was uh, the president of China when he was like, no, this is a this is a fucking problem. Like, we're going to make this, you know, problem go away. It wasn't like a, well, let's sugarcoat it. It's like, no, like, this is what we're doing. And I don't think we have that right now. Yeah, I would say, like, I can see both sides of the argument in terms of, like, inciting a panic versus educating the public. And I think there's a very fine line that you can tread the way you're informing the public without, you know, causing a panic. But the whole like minimizing the situation, I think, probably set us back months uh, on that curve, like you know, setting the well, setting up the hundred percent things up for for failure versus success. I mean, hundred percent, especially when you have like the talking heads at Fox News, like Ingram and Hannity and Tucker Carlson, using words like hoax to describe 
coronavirus oh. back in February. Like that's the kind of stupidity that like should not be tolerated. Like there's there's one degree of people saying like this is the next Spanish influenza. It's going to kill a hundred million people versus okay, like this is a serious, like life-threatening illness that we should really take accountability mm-hmm. in our actions and our words for. Like there yeah. needs to be, I, I think the media is doing like, again, the bookend version of it, but there has to be somewhere in the middle that they can, they overlap and agree on. No, I I think that's a valid point, but I'd also, that's like goes back to our discussion on the media like a couple weeks ago too, about how, you know, sensationalist, sensational headlines are what sells and gets clicks. So like it, there's no, business incentive for you know saying the truth and not you know sensationalizing or coming to this crazy conclusion in order to get views or clicks yeah well do we know what our our charity for this month is going to be coming up in april i thought we're going to do like a food bank uh so i don't i I imagine like new york city that food bank that we donated to last month for new york city will be uh another worthy um uh, charity for next month. Yeah, I think that uh, would be a good one. I think someone recommended uh, getting something going for some uh, hospital staff uh, that are that are facing hard times because they're essentially quarantined like twenty four seven at the hospitals dealing with this, and you know they have to take care of their families, um, you know, and they're separated from them and like childcare costs and stuff like that. So we'll should look into something that, that helps out the either the people uh, that are impacted by it or the people that are trying to reduce the spread of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, I think we'll, we'll discuss a little bit more offline and then we can uh, come up with a charity that will start next month. Yeah. Uh, April 1st tomorrow. April 1st. Uh, we didn't talk about book club either. We still have to talk about book club still. I haven't read yet. Let's uh, we'll, we'll table that discussion until later then. Whoops. Yeah, and hopefully the next time we see each other, uh, there will be a, a GB sitting next to me that can talk about his experiences going through SFAS and that would Q be nice. course. And he did. He just had, yeah. He he did just text me every text me when we started. And he said he just got back from Denver. Same. Apparently he has a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah, he's come over. We've lifted a couple times in the the garage. I've seen the the like you know joint dog. So we will, uh, for those that don't know what we're ta- the fuck we're talking about, uh, one of our good RASP2 buddies and my 375 Ranger buddy uh, is a Green Beret at Carson. Is that third group? Third group, right? Tenth. Tenth group. I knew that. <laughs> Not the 75th. Why do we care? Yeah. Uh, but he's a Green Beret tenth group, and then we're going to try and get him on uh, the podcast so that we can finally answer some of your questions about sfas sfqc and all the green beret life because obviously neither of us are green berets so we can't really tell you uh what that life is like so uh i guess you could probably tell that just by how good looking we are anyway yeah i mean or just the fact that yeah but uh yeah i think that's a good point we should probably like bring it up on the gram and have people like come up with some questions that they want to answer or anything they're interested in talking about since uh you know, our perspective might be different from other people's perspectives or questions they want answered. No, absolutely. It's a good point. Uh, but I guess that'll, I, th- I think we should wrap it for today. Uh, I think that's yeah. a good, uh, good, uh, summary. So we kind of, uh, had a couple of tangents about Tiger King and, uh, definitely had a little bit of tangent there about animals, but I think a pretty good discussion at the end overall. Yeah. Well, Bobby, I will hit you up, uh, in the manana. Okay. Any, uh, closing comments before we kick it off? 
No, get out there and go run. You're not restricted from running yet. Yeah. And uh, continue working out. Uh, our Both our programs are tailored for quarantine fitness. So, you know, try and get your weights in, get your kettlebells, dumbbells, get some, get stocked up a little bit on some basic supplies so that, you know, in the future, you know, with some options to working out at home. Uh, I think that's it. Anything else, John? No. I'm going to sign off now. Yeah, I'll say, like, we, uh, I will uh, later, uh, once I figure out how much money we raised this month uh, to the charity for the brain cancer awareness or the brain cancer research, you know, I'll post something about how much money we raised and then uh, document that as well. So just keep uh, eyes out for that and how much money you guys raised for brain cancer research. Oh, and by the way, then, on a sign-off note, talking about Tiger King, the missing person case for Carol Baskin's husband has been reopened. That's so... It's such a cold case. That's fucking like 20 years ago. This, what it's the, open. It's back open. So think on anything. that before the next podcast. Before the next podcast, that's what you got to think on. Oh, fucking Tiger King. All right. We'll see you guys later. Kronos Fit out. Be somebody. Later.